following podcast is part of the Underdog Sports Podcasting Network. For a full list of our shows, as well as breaking sports news and engaging feature stories, visit us at www.theunderdogsports.com. Welcome back to Create Your Shot. I am Tyler Laurie, joined as always by Chris Smalls Angelos. And this week, like I said, former college basketball superstar, we have Mark Titus, the man behind Club Trillion, uh, now works for The Ringer, does One Shining Podcast, which is hilarious, does his power rankings every Friday. And Smalls, this was as intuitive of an interview as I've ever heard because we kind of bounced around with like, oh, Mark's a really funny guy. Like, and he told us beforehand that he didn't want to do shtick or anything like that. He didn't want to think of his answers beforehand. And we we went pretty deep, honestly. I mean, we talked about college basketball. We, we, we told some jokes, but... You know, buried in that is is some unbelievable advice, especially with dealing with self image, right? I, I was I was blown away. Yeah, and for for me, I think I just always take things as how it relates to me and relates to people that I know. And I think that was the most interesting because I, I I personally love his podcast. I don't read as much, um, but I love his, listening to his podcast with him and Tate One Shining Podcast. And a lot of that is you know it's joking around, it's basketball, but really what we get into the depth of you know, what he's went through personally. And you can relate a lot of that stuff to yourself. And then to also coaching and, you know, trying to get whatever industry you're going in, whatever job you're trying to get, there's so many factors that go into it. And sometimes you don't know what a person's dealing with because people put on a happy face, like when they show up to practice or when they show up to their job and they're this joyful person, but behind closed doors, they're battling with a lot of demons. So for me, on the serious end of that, that was really, really important because that's not talked about enough in our our industry, especially like it is you go through some really dark times and sometimes you feel like you can't talk to anybody. What we want people to do is be like, you know, it's OK. It's OK because someone goes through it as well. Someone really successful like Mark has went through the tough times and battled depression and it's okay to be asked for help sometimes. And, and, and the one thing I will say about this, and I, I want to, I, I think people who listen to Mark and read his work mostly think he's a really good person. But like, what I will say about that is we did not know Mark before we filmed this episode. We reached out to him blind. Uh, he responded to an email and was totally open to doing it. Talked for an hour and 20 minutes or so. Talked before the show, talked after the show. And, and the authenticity I thought was was really tremendous. And that was where, you know, a lot of times you're worried, like, how are we going to get guests? How are we going to do this? And, and Mark was just kind of like, hey, I like what you guys are about. Like, we sent him the prep and he was all in. And, and I really appreciated that because you you could hear him trying to figure out the right answers to things. You could hear his kind of like trepidation in answering things. And we talked about a lot. You know, obviously, there's a ton going on in college basketball with the investigation. There's a ton going on. We're going into conference tournaments. We're going to the NCAA tournaments. And we just talked about a lot of different stuff. And I really appreciated that because this is a guy who, if you are Smalls and I's age, you know Club Trillion. You you read him on Grantland. Like he's a guy that was like he told us he was on uh, Sports Center with Scott Van Pelt on Selection Sunday, and I remember that now, but I, I had forgotten it. And so like he will not allow us to list accomplishments of his and say that you know he's done a lot of stuff. Mainly, other all he does is talk about basketball like a fan. But like Mark didn't have to reach back out to us, and and I appreciate that about him. So I want people to know that I was I was really impressed with that authenticity. And, and like Small said, the the part about where people don't kind of see what's going on behind closed doors. 
it's really it's it's interesting. And, you know, he does compare himself to Christian Bale and Batman. That's kind of interesting. I, I've never you know, I haven't heard that a lot of people saying like, oh, yeah, I'm like the Dark Knight. But I will keep this pretty short, Smalls, because we went long. But if you had one big takeaway, I, I think be your be yourself. Right. I think don't let people impact how you act on a daily basis. It's exactly what you said. Like it's for us, it's not about people being big time. And he responded to an email that we sent and he came on a podcast with us, like a lot less famous than him, obviously. And he's got a lot of things on his plate and he takes time out of his day. And that means a lot to people like us. And I think if you can reflect that in your own life, that's really the most important thing for me is when, when a kid comes up and you're an assistant coach at a division one school and there's a, you know, a runner at a, you know, an Elevate Hoops event comes up and asks you, you know, a couple questions, you can open up to them and, you know, be, be nice and be yourself. I think that's the most important thing because that can go a long way for that other person when it really wasn't that difficult for you. So that's really what I took, really what I took out of the whole experience. Yeah, definitely. And I will say this right now, we do have a mini-sode coming this Friday, not 100% sure what we're going to do. I think we're going to do something on recruiting. For those of you that are enjoying the little 25 to 30 minute episodes, the Mike Dunn on shooting last week was really, really fun. If you haven't checked that out, listen to him talk about Devin Booker and us kind of talk about three point contests. Other than that, uh, if you like what you hear, uh, let us know about it. Subscribe. Give us a five star rating. Leave some stuff in the comments. Tell us what you like about our show, what you don't like about our show. Our DMs are open on Twitter at Create Your Shot. Send us a message. If there's people you want to hear on the show, we're we're more than willing to, to try to get guys on and listen to more stories. Uh, we are Create Your Shot Pod on Instagram, Create Your Shot on Facebook, and Create Your Shot at gmail.com. This, I believe, is the 34th episode. Uh, I, I don't know. At this point, it's amazing we're still on. You know, I think that's typical podcast shtick, right? Small is like, oh, we haven't been canceled, even though we produced yeah. the show ourselves. Yeah. But uh, like I said, we'll keep on keeping on. <laughs> keep on keeping on. Uh, enjoy the interview with Mark Titus. Also, we do talk a little bit about the college basketball investigation. Understand we are purely speculating on things. It's just kind of our opinion. None of us has really any idea what's going on, as we say. And I I don't think many people outside and and really in college basketball know a lot of what's going on. So please don't take what we say as gospel. It's just kind of us talking about current events. But like I said, enjoy the interview. Thanks, as always, for listening. And we will be back on Friday. from The Ringer, One Shining Podcast, if you guys haven't listened, and formerly of Grantland. He also wrote a book, Don't Put Me In Coach, My Incredible NCAA Journey from the End of the Bench to the End of the Bench. I believe, Mark, as you plug this plenty, it's available on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Probably got an audio book, maybe, with your voice. But former Ohio State walk-on, now media mogul. Uh, Mark, thanks for joining us. Uh, how are you today? I'm, I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, it's a very exciting time here in Central Ohio. 
Uh, Ohio State, as we all know, is the one program that has never cheated and will never cheat, <laughs> and every other program is cheating. So I'm very excited to see uh, all the other cheaters go down and for Ohio State to be exalted, as as they should be, honestly. You know, actually, we're, we're fired up, too, because Temple's never cheated either. So the two-team NCAA tournament this year between Temple and Ohio State is going to be phenomenal. Like, we'll take a runner-up finish. We'll raise that banner. Nobody's going to know. <laughs> they play the game, right? I mean, that's the most important part. Right. That's listen. If, if if that's what it comes down to, in all honesty, if if that literally happened and every other program was banned from the tournament, Ohio State was just handed a national title. I would I would be so obnoxious about winning that thing as though <laughs> as though we won it in the mid '80s with Patrick Ewing and Michael Jordan and James Worthy all and, and Akeem Olajuwon all competing against. Like I wouldn't even care. Just give me the damn title. I'm taking it. Well, getting to that, you know, your story at Ohio State, uh, we, we don't talk about this as much anymore, although I know you get some heat on your podcast because people make it seem like you talk about how you were a player all the time, but yeah. you were in fact a walk-on at Ohio State, and uh, you, you kind of wrote your journey for everybody to read it, for those that read the Club Trillion blog and then your book. When did you kind of decide that you were going to go into writing? And like, did you have kind of like a holy shit, this is a real thing moment in your career? So the first question, I decided I was going to go into writing when Bill Simmons told me I was going to go into writing. And I was just like, okay, I guess so. Um, the, the holy shit moment, must it, it came, I, we had like a, um, we had a very elementary, I, 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 I say we because my best friend from high school kind of helped me with the, uh, the setting up the blog and, and kind of running the day-to-day operation, which like basically wasn't anything. But we both had a very elementary uh, uh, understanding of, of the internet and how to set up a website and all that kind of stuff. But we did figure out a way. That this, and by the way, for people listening who are younger, like back in the mid 2000s, the internet was like a prehistoric, it feels like a prehistoric place. I mean, it was like ancient as hell. So we, we found this like plugin that you could track your, your hits, how many people are coming to your website or whatever, you know, like that. That wasn't like very easy to get if you were just an independent guy back in those days. You know, like now it's, I mean, everybody knows everything about their their numbers or whatever. So I get this plug-in after I've been doing the blog for a little while and I had no idea how many people were reading the website. And then we, we do it and we started like tracking it and it was, I was getting like 50,000 hits a day and this was before I'd even done any media. And at that point I was like, that was my holy shit moment. I was like, holy shit, you're telling me that 50,000 times people are coming to this every single day. And then I and then I go on like Simmons podcast. I, I like media started to pick it up because they thought it was hilarious that this guy on the end of the bench was just kind of dicking around and <laughs> and was basically basically the way I pitched it to people was like I'm the anti Rudy. Like Rudy is trying to kiss everyone's ass and do whatever he can to get in the game. And I was like, nah, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm good. Uh, so after that all starts to happen, people like kind of get the media stuff. Like we were we were getting like 150, 200 thousand visitors a day or whatever and i was like oh my god this is unbelievable i've, I've really got something now um i guess like getting hate mail was kind of cool too in a weird way because like when you first start out it's just your mom and she's like hey i read your blog it was really good mark and i'm like hey, mom shut up don't let this, i don't want to know that's you you know like she's commenting in the in the section you know like good job mark and i'm like mom don't mark's <laughs> mom that's that- Yes. So when, uh, when I started getting uh, hate mail, I was like, man, I must have kind of arrived that like people are reading this who don't even like me. This is this is crazy. But that, that could have that, that could have been my dad, though, I guess. That With all hate mail, mail, actually, probably Evan Turner. It was just yeah, Evan right, Turner yeah. like writing a couple different posts a day from uh, different IP addresses. That's that's very, very plausible. So um, 
that's that's definitely definitely plausible but i guess, I guess like to answer your question though like that was kind of it like i i started the blog honestly as just uh an outlet to voice my frustrations uh i wasn't getting any playing time i didn't necessarily think i should be getting playing time but it's, it's still just a tough pill to swallow when you're the best player on your team all through high school yeah. and you're you know i i, I could have gone and played division one basketball somewhere and i chose not to and uh it, it was all like like i i created the situation myself so i'm not I'm not pretending to be a victim or whatever, but it's just sort of, it, it was a reality check to get to Ohio state and realize I sucked at basketball. And that the blog became my outlet for that. It was like, I, I either have to transfer somewhere where I can play or I have to like completely change my attitude about this. So I changed it and it was just supposed to be like a little fun thing where I was just kind of voicing my frustrations in a humorous way. And then when people started actually paying attention to it, I, that's when I was like, Holy shit, this is, this is nuts that, you know, they're, they're showing, they're talking about, I, I remember getting mentioned on ESPN during like a sports center thing. Um, you know, like our, our team wins and someone said like club trill shout out or, you know, like one of the anchors said something like that. I was like, well, what the hell? <laughs> uh, so yeah, it became, it be, that, that was, it, it happened really early on, but I didn't realize I wanted a career certainly for, for much longer. It, it took like graduating and all that for, for that. Yeah. And you mentioned you, you're the anti Rudy. Well, you really are because Rudy sucked. Like Rudy, stuck. he didn't have any business being on that field. You were a good high school player, right? You played all Ohio Red, yeah, I mean, Greg Odin, and all that. Well, yeah, we were from Indiana. We played. Uh, we were Spice Indy Heat. Oh, okay. We were all from Indiana. Yeah, yeah. All Ohio Red was like the other Ohio. All Ohio Red was like the uh, JJ or not JJ JJ Solinger's got really excited that I, I mentioned his name. It was Jared Solinger. Um, Trey Burke. Yeah. yeah, Trey Burke was in. Yeah, it was that group, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I, I don't have, I'm not delusional about my basketball career or anything. Like, I, I would say I was pretty good. I was not anything special. Um, I, I scored a thousand points in my career. I played at the biggest division in Indiana. Um, I, I was on the varsity team as a freshman, like that sort of stuff. But it wasn't like, I mean, at no point was I like, I'm going to the NBA. Um, th- that that point happened when I was like in seventh grade, and then I stopped growing, and I realized I'm not because I was. I was six four in eighth grade, Jesus. and I'm six four now. Yeah. <laughs> so um, there was a moment where I was in middle school. I was like, "Oh shit, I'm kind of good at basketball. This is insane." And then there was a moment in high school. I was like, "Oh shit, I'm not good at basketball anymore. This is insane." <laughs> you said you were recruited to other schools. Did you like what? What schools recruited you, and what made you the decision to go to Ohio State instead of those? Yeah. So I, I guess I got recruited. I mean, I got like letters. You, you guys know how this goes. You get letters from letters. Doesn't, doesn't mean yeah. shit. But, I sent out uh, like 500 you know, a week. Like, though, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was still on the mailing list at least uh, with like basically every school in Indiana, which I thought was cool. Like I, you know, I mean, I, I knew, I, I, I knew what it was, but at the same time to get letters from Indiana and Peru and Notre Dame was like, Oh, this is pretty cool. Um, but no, I was more like Indiana state was recruiting me, but uh I, I I never really had much interest in Indiana State. Um, UNC Wilmington was the one I was pretty interested in. There was mutual interest there. Harvard was the one I thought I had I was going to go to. I had it I had it basically down to like Harvard and UNC Wilmington, and um, I had made up my mind I was going to Harvard. And then I, I wrote about this in my book. Actually, there's a there's a a, a story. Where, where the Harvard coach, I, who I had been talking to forever, had seen me play a thousand times. Um, he was he was in town in Indianapolis for another reason. He was like recruiting another guy at the same time, and he was like, "Hey, I'm going to swing by your game and just see what's going on." And and 
um, that sort of thing. So I was really excited because we were playing our biggest rival. We were playing in, a, in an important tournament and our against our biggest rival. And I, I was really excited for this to happen. And then in the lead up to that game, my coach got mad at me in practice because I wasn't rebounding well enough. And he's and I got into a fight with him because I was like, Coach, I'm a shooting guard. I know I'm kind of tall for a high school player, but I'm a shooting guard. I'm averaging seven rebounds a game. I don't know what you want from me. Um, and we kind of butted heads. And then he benched me the whole first half that the, that the Harvard coach came to. And when I came out in the second half, the coach was gone. I ended up scoring like 17 points in the second half, and we won. But the coach had left, and I never heard from him again. And that's kind of how the Harvard things fell through. So um, anyway, that so when that fell through, uh, I was I, I was interested in UNC Wilmington, but I was I was so set on Harvard, I was like kind of bummed out. And then Greg Oden and Mike Conley were like, "Dude, just come to Ohio State. You don't need basketball. Just come hang out with us." And I was like, "Yeah, honestly, that, that kind of sounds fun. I think I'll do that." So yeah, so that's what I did more or less. That was kind of how I ended up at Ohio State. Was I, I actually my first time I ever set foot on Ohio State's campus was when I was uh, moving into my dorm, believe it or not, which is kind of a uh, irresponsible i think would be one word for it. <laughs> I, I would say that people um, i would say that people who know you like or listen to you and read your work would would not say that like you're not anything but pretty laid back so that's not that surprising yeah. to me i guess it's like a little surprising because you know like parents are always like oh we're gonna go to school like let's take visits like let's do yeah. this but i gotta say like that's not super surprising to me but i do know that when you went there though weren't you set up to be a manager before you were actually a walk-on oh yeah and then you got i was a manager got fired yeah. right like you <laughs> Didn't work out. Uh, it was a mutual. It was one of those mutual <laughs> firings. I think is how it works. Um, yeah, I was. I was. So I'm not afraid to throw guys under the bus with this because I I've done it so often and, and publicly for so long that it's like who cares at this point? I'm going to keep doing it. Um, John Gross, who was the coach at Illinois, just recently got fired at Illinois and is now the coach at Akron. Yeah. yeah, who I like. I like Gross a lot. I just saw him this summer, and uh, I have, I'm not going to say like bad things about him. Um, that's not where this is going. But John Gross uh, grew up in the same town that I grew up in, actually. And and he knew – I, I knew him through various channels. He was an assistant coach at Ohio State. Uh, I, should, I should preface it with that. He was an assistant coach uh, at Ohio State. And my family knew his family, and we kind of had this connection going. And I obviously knew Greg and Mike. So when I got to Ohio State, Gross reached out to me because he was like, yeah, I, I remember Mark. And he and when he was recruiting Mike and Greg, he'd see me in AAU games and all that kind of stuff. So I kind of built up a relationship with him a little bit. And when I got there, he was in charge of kind of recruiting me to the manager gig. And he, he called me and he's like, hey, I know you want to be around Mike and Greg. I know how much you like those guys. We think that you're valuable because we know how good you are at basketball. We would love, you know, maybe run scout team and stuff. So here's what we're, we're offering you. Come be a manager and you'll get to do scout team and you'll get to play the role of the best shooter on the other teams. And you'll get to practice against the guys. And I'm like, oh, this sounds amazing. And and he's laying it out for me. And I'm like, so do I have to come to every practice? And he's like, no, not really. Just, you know, whenever you can, just come, whatever. Because I was, at this point, I was like really serious about my studies. I was trying to go to medical school. I was a math major. And I was trying to, you know, like I can't be taking huge time away to go run scout team, you know. So I was kind of, basically we had this negotiation where we were planning what the manager role would be. And I thought it was going to be awesome. I was like, this is great. I'm going to get my basketball fixed, but I'm not going to, you know, kill myself trying to be a D1 athlete. And then I get there and they have me filling up water bottles and wiping up sweat. And I was like, wait a second, this is not what I had in mind. And they're like, well, what's the problem? And I was like, well, when, when do we do the scout team thing? And they're like, well, that's not, that's not for a little while. You know, just, just, you have to be older. I don't, it was like this whole thing. So then they're like, okay, you don't want to wipe up sweat. You don't want to rebound for guys. 
what if we made you film practice? And I was like, okay, cool. So I go sit up in the, the, the crow's nest basically, and I'm filming practice and I get so bored doing this. And coach Mata loves telling the story. It's like his favorite story about me to tell. Um, I, I basically stopped moving the camera as the action like goes from side <laughs> to side, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is kind of a problem. So, uh, it, 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 the funniest part is like, I would notice I had forgot to move the camera. So I got the cameras on the left and all the actions on the right. And then I'd go, Oh shit, I forgot to move the camera. And so I would go to move it as the action would go back to the left and I would be moving the camera to the right. And it, it was, it was an absolute mess. So they kind of called me in there. They're like, do you want to be a manager? And I was like, honestly, no, can I quit? And they're like, yeah, quit. <laughs> Just why, you know, like, you know, you're not gonna hurt our feelings. And I was like, all right, thank God I'm out of here. And then uh, I quit. And so I know I'm rambling. I'm sorry. No, I'm talking kidding. a lot, but, uh, uh, I quit being a manager. And then, um, two weeks later they called me back and they basically asked me to walk on because at the time Greg Oden had, he, he had his, his wrist was broken and it was still healing. Uh, one of the, the guy who was a walk on, they had played an exhibition game already. And this walk on thought he was going to play a lot for some reason. I don't know why we were the a preseason top five team. And I guess he thought he was going to get starters minutes. I'm very confused by that. But this, this, this walk on that they had quit. Cause he was like, you know, I, I, I don't want to ride the bench. And then Ron Lewis rolled his ankle in practice and we were down, they were down to nine players and they couldn't even run five on five at that point. Um, so they basically called me. They're like, we just want you to go out there and just be a punching bag. And we just, we, we literally just need you because we need to run five on five. That's the only reason we're calling you. And then I, I said the right things and did the right things and made the right people laugh or something. And I turned that into four years and here I am now talking to you guys. So that's, that's pretty much the story. The, the best part about that is you, so you guys have this dirty laundry, laundry segment on your podcast, which is apparently like incredibly popular now. Cause you're, I noticed you're like yeah. misdoing the timestamps. So people listen before dirty laundry. Yeah, yeah. I, lo- I love that honestly, but like, you love you love managers like you you openly talk about oh, like, yeah. how awesome you think managers are. But in your story, you know, for for guys like Smalls and I who were both managers, like you know, you were the guy that was like, ah, I'm too good to fill up the water bottles. And that guy was always you know, he was always yeah, the yeah. black sheep of the managers. Like he wanted to be friends with the players. Right. And it's it's funny because like I just your like love for managers is, is definitely shines through at this point in your life. Are you calling me a fraud? <laughs> no, honestly, I'm not. I, <laughs> I, I don't think um, so. No. Listen, I, I, I know I was, an, I, I, I don't know if asshole is probably a strong word to call me. I, I think it's just, you have that, that moment where for my entire life, basketball was a certain thing. Like if I was going to a basketball practice, this is what it looked like. This is what it felt like. And it was just an ego bruise. Like I, I never thought while I was there that I should be playing. Like when I was doing the manager thing, I was never like, I'm better than you guys. And I should be out there with the real team or anything like that. It was just, it was very, very hard to take on a different role because again, I was, uh, I was a pretty good player in high school. And like, even, even people don't believe this, even on our AAU team, which we had like one of the greatest AAU teams ever, I would say it's the greatest, but I mean, objectively it's gotta be one of the five best of all yeah, time. Yeah. At least in terms of guys who like, cause Daquan Cook was there, right? Like Josh McRoberts, yeah, Eric, Eric Gordon, Gordon was on the team yeah. as well. Yeah. We had, a we had 13 guys, 11 of us played division one basketball. One was, uh, one, I think played professional baseball out of out of high school and that's why he didn't play division one basketball and then i forget what happened to the other guy maybe he yeah yeah, we don't need to get into him um but anyway on that team like i actually played a lot i actually got a ton of minutes in aau i i was like a vital part of that team even so to go from that to now i'm filling up the water bottles for like my friends basically which is the other part of it too i don't i don't want to be friends with the players i already was friends with the players you know so that was like really weird to like 
I don't know. I've, I've been an equal, I mean, not equal in talent, but just equal in position with Greg and Mike for so long. Like we would always play against each other. We're hanging out with each other. And now suddenly like I, you know, I'm, I'm doing things for them. Um, so that, that's all that was. But, but the reason I love managers so much is because I identify with that. Like I was like, I, this was a job that I could not do. I, I don't understand how these people do this. God bless them. Um, as I became a real player and I went to practices more, I spent more time hanging out with managers, talking to managers. It, it kind of got flipped on its head. Like when I was a player, I was like, I want to be friends with the managers uh, versus the, you know, so I, I don't know. That, that's, that's pretty much where all that comes from. It's just like all, all the managers we had at Ohio state were awesome. I loved all those guys. They got into the most crazy situations. Like I, I kind of got jealous of them because while the nights before games, I'm, I'm stuck in a hotel on campus because they, they don't trust us. We can't go out or yeah, anything. Like, I know that the managers are, yeah, are doing crazy shit. So um, I, I just, I love managers. Yeah. Yeah. After, after we end taping, I'll, I'll give you a dirty laundry and I'll, I'll change names and stuff. And if you're writing it down, you can take it. Cause we, we have some like that part, that part of being a manager was the best. Like it was funny. Like yeah. coaches would openly, like they treat you decently well. Like they treat you kind of like you were players in the sense that like they yell at you and stuff, but like, you know, you're kind of along for the ride, but your responsibilities are so limited as long as you show up and do what you're supposed to do. Like nobody right. cares about you. So like right. numerous times, like guys would show up or miss breakfast, miss meal at night. And they'd be like, oh, where's that guy? And you'd be like, I don't know, but he'll be here tomorrow and he'll have the water bottles filled up and like he'll have <laughs> right. his polo on. And like, that's the part of it that's really funny. And I didn't mean that in the sense that like you thought you were better than us, just in the joking factor. Cause I don't think people yeah, yeah. realize if they didn't read your book, I don't think people realize that you were a manager. Like, I think they just assumed, yeah. like, oh, he was a walk-on. And, and thank God you weren't the walk-on who was, like, thinking that he needed to quit off a team that was going to go play in the national championship and robbed himself of that experience as well. So, like, you know, I just think, like, that part's interesting. But I uh, I do wonder, like, as you were getting bigger in media, you know, like, and, and as you kind of – as you graduated and took the next step forward, like – do you do you network on like a pretty regular basis? And like, how do you network? Do you network with coaches? Do you network with other media members? Like, kind of as you grow your career now, you know, what's your approach? You'd be surprised. I think uh, I think people would be surprised by by how little I talk to people. Um, and part of that is because of my personality. I I, I wouldn't say I, I have a shtick publicly. But I have—I certainly have a personality publicly that I'm—I'm I'm like the fun guy that makes jokes and doesn't take things seriously, and I'm very outgoing and stuff. But I tell—I'm I, honest to God—I live the most boring life you could possibly imagine, and I—I—I I, I live in the suburbs of Central Ohio, which, like, telling even even people like I know in New York and LA, if I tell them I live in Columbus, Ohio, they think I live in the middle of nowhere. I live in the middle of nowhere compared to where Columbus, Ohio is. You know, like I. And and I don't really, and, and I say that to say like, I don't live an exciting life. So I, I I don't really reach out to a lot of people. I bump into people like at games and stuff, and and I'll tell them I'm a fan of their work and just kind of shake hands that way. Um, sometimes I just reach out like on Twitter. That seems to be a useful way to to, to network. But honestly, I don't do a ton of networking. As far as coaches, I know very very few coaches, and that's by design. I mean, the coaches I do know are coaches that entered my life because they were assistants on teams I played in or um, they were close, like they coached under coaches that I know. So I kind of got in touch with them that way, or they reached out to me. Like there have been a handful of coaches that reached out to me. Some, some were like, Hey, I thought that was funny what you wrote. Others were like, how dare you? I hate you. Like, please explain. Uh, yeah. That's a, a, a certain coach at a certain school that I grew up cheering for called me a couple times to kind of, say like you're writing mean things about me please stop it um 
but that's but I would say that's that's kind of why I don't network. I think subconsciously I don't want to be influenced. I don't want to like have friends in this. I will, like if something funny happens with Sean Miller at Arizona, I want to make Sean Miller jokes, and I don't want it to be like, ooh, well, you know, Sean coached under Thad Mata, and I'm close to Thad, and I I don't want to upset Thad, and you know, like I it, to me it's just more fun to be able to just I, I speak from a place of fandom. I'm just a college basketball fan. So the more you network to me, the the less of a fan you are. Which is which is why you work well with Bill Simmons because like ultimately like that's who you know when all of us were reading Bill Simmons in like the early you know late nineties early two thousands like that's who Bill Simmons was like he was a guy writing about sports in a bar, and so like that, yeah. that's his you know that's like his, not his shtick but like that's kind of who he is and I, and like I get that because like when we thought about starting to do this podcast we were like well we can get all these guys on and they'll tell hilarious stories about being coaches but like a lot of times coaches won't do that. Because there's this sort of like right. inner brotherhood and now, you know, apparently the FBI is just going to blow it up. But like there's this like coach's bond where like you just don't talk about things that are going on. And that's why like it's it's just kind of like crazy in that regard, you know, where there's nothing wrong with you talking about current events and like making jokes about Sean Miller sweating, you know, <laughs> under like an FBI right. line, you know, like that everybody else is doing it right. because you're Mark Titus and you played on a team where Archie Miller coached like that could be a problem, right? Right, yeah, and Archie, I, I I love Archie as well. So, uh, I'm which by the way, I'm not af- I'm not afraid to do that, but I think there is there is definitely a hesitation. Like I catch myself right now as I want to talk about Sean Miller, I do catch myself sometimes. I still say it, I still make the joke, but there's just that little there's that little pause, and I think about like what would this be like if I I was close to every coach. Um, so but but I do, I mean I am I am well networked. I mean you, you're just you're in basketball long enough, you know a lot of people, you run into a lot of people. Um. It just kind of, I'm, I'm better networked. I don't mean to say that I'm just some guy, some bump on a log that just sits on his couch and that's the only perspective I offer. But um, I don't know. I've, I've always valued the fan perspective more. I mean, I was a fan of basketball well before I was a player, well before I, I ever thought about having a college career. I just, I mean, I was three years old just watching basketball and was obsessed with it. Um, and that's just been true my whole life. Like I'm still a fan. I, I was a fan of the game. Even when I was at Ohio state, like I was a fan of the game. Like I would be excited to meet other coaches. I remember the first time I walked into a practice at Ohio state, I got excited that that motto was there. I was like, that's the guy who I remember him as Xavier. I remember him at Butler. Um, it was never like, this is the basketball coach. who's going to coach me now. It was just like, I know your history. I'm a fan of you, whatever. Um, so anyway, that's a long-winded way of saying that uh, I, I value that fan perspective, and I think that's kind of my way of preserving it is to sort of not necessarily be aggressive in my networking. Yeah, and I want to take this in a little bit of a different direction, but uh, you know, we created our podcast because we want to help young coaches or young media people, and sometimes you need a way of hearing different people and different perspectives. But you've talked about depression in your past at Ohio State and yeah. following while at Grantland. How did you manage to kind of grow from that? And are there any tips for people who might be struggling in that, you know, same way you were? Um, yeah, it, that's a tough question because I think everybody – I don't think everybody's different. I know everybody's different. And um, I, I've never tried to pretend that when I, whenever I talk about depression or, or I, I wrote about it um, – I've never tried to pretend like there's a cure, like my method is a cure all for everyone else. Uh, so I, I certainly want to, I guess, preface it with that and say that this isn't, every case is different and there's, and, and I'm not, I don't have the answers. I had the answer. I figured out the answer for me. It might not be the answer for everybody, but um, I guess it, for, for me, it was just about the routine. I think um, I, I found a routine. I found, 
uh, I, I, I don't, I don't really know where to start to be honest with you. It was just like the, the, the mess that I came up with was just trying to build momentum. I, I that's a word that just stuck with me forever was like, if I, uh, if I, if I just do the little things and they become the, the, the medium things and then they become the big things and they become the really big things. And, um, you just start there and that's kind of the approach I took. I mean, it was, it was very, very hard for me though. It was, I, 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 it's still weird to talk about if you can't tell from the way I'm stuttering as I'm trying to work through my thoughts here. Um, it, it's hard to talk about for that reason is that I know how serious it is. And I know that, that there are a lot of people that are going through it. And, and I, I, I guess I, I worry that people want me to tell them the answer and then they try that and it doesn't work. And they, now they're out of options or something. And I guess like the one thing that I do enjoy about like telling my story is that with this part of it is that I am living proof that it does get better. I, I swear that I'm, I'm happier now than I've ever been in my life. Um, I, I have it under control. I certainly don't think I'm cured of depression. I don't think that's, that's ever possible. The, the, the analogy I would use is that I felt like I was, I was in a pit, just like a big, big hole that's been dug out like Batman Begins analogy, dark, I guess. Dark, like that's dark I was night, down dark night rises. Oh, dark night rises. It was the dark night. Yeah. Was it the, the second third one? one, right? Where you get Bane, Bane, the throws, one? Him, Bane throws him down there and then he breaks his back, but somehow he heals without a doctor in this. I thought that was, yeah, that's right. That's uh, it's the dark night rises. My God, let's look at my Batman. I, I watched, I watched all those movies one time and I, I just remembered it was Christian Bale. You, you know that, but anyway, you know, the visual, like I was, I, I felt like I was in this pit and there was a, I had this rope wrapped around my ankle and there's a guy in that pit whose job is to keep me in the pit. And every time I try to climb, climb out, he just pulls on the rope and tugs me down. Right. And I would say that right now I've climbed out of the pit and I've walked, I'm, I'm 30 miles away from the pit at this point. I've walked all the way away from it, but I still have that rope around my ankle. And I still, I will always have that rope and I will always kind of feel a nudge, you know, and I, I can feel that guy down in that pit just kind of like, Hey man, come back. It's not too late. You can still be miserable. Um, so that, I, I say that to say like, I, I don't, I'm not trying to paint this with sunshine and rainbows and all that. And like, you know, once you figure it out, man, then you're happy and jolly and everything's great for the rest of your life. Cause that's definitely not the case, but there are ways you can get through it. Um, I, I, I would just encourage people to, to, experiment with stuff the hardest part about depression is just doing that's that's always been the hardest part i would just lay in bed and i i would know what i have to do and i just wouldn't be able to do it and um so for me it was small things it was like instead of trying to save the world today instead of trying to to beat depression what if i just woke up to what if i just got out of bed before noon and we'll start with that like how about today just try to get out of bed before noon and i would do that and i'd be like hey i did it wow that was amazing and the next day it's like all right now i'm gonna try to get out of bed before noon and what if I make my bed after I get up mm-hmm. and then that's it. And like, honestly, it sounds, it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous to people that haven't been through it. But like, I mean, if, if you're dealing with that, like getting out of bed before noon for me was like, Oh my God, I can't I, believe I I'm doing this. this. I, I, I want to like, jump in for one second. Sorry to cut you off smalls. And, and I think the reason we wanted to include this was because one of the things I thought was most interesting about your situation is, is it obviously took you a little while to write it and it was going on while you were still at Ohio State where to like the outside observer, it seemed like everything was great with Mark Titus. You know, you're staying in super awesome suites at the Final Four and like, you know, you're just having a blast. Like, and I think in basketball and sports in general, like people are afraid to like show who they actually are and what's going on behind the curtain because you're viewed as like, you know, we go, we'll go into coach speak in a minute, but like you're viewed as soft or like you're viewed as like not a, not a winner or whatever. And so like, 
it's important, I think, to have these conversations. And like, just for people who don't know, this is it's February 26th. This will air tomorrow uh, or February 27th. But DeMar DeRozan actually just had a really interesting piece at Smith Raps on Twitter, wrote about him talking about depression and anxiety, too. And like those types of conversations, I think, especially in the sports world, you need to have. So, Mark, like that's I didn't mean to put you on the spot, you know, and I appreciate the authenticity, you know, because you can tell like it's not easy. Listen, I, I, I think it's important for me to be candid. Uh, I think I don't even think it's important. I think it's my responsibility to be candid about this because when I was in that position, there was nothing more in the world than I wanted than for someone successful that I looked up to and, and to know that they went exactly. through the same thing I did. And I, I it, it's still a weird position for me to be in where I'm kind of on the other end of it. Like I, I have to remind myself that people do look up to me, which is absolutely bizarre because I, I swear I have like no ego. I, I even saying that makes you an <laughs> asshole with an ego. I know. But, yeah, you have uh, a big time ego. It, 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 it seriously like trips me out when people want my autograph or people want pictures with me and, and all that kind of stuff. I've never really thought of myself as like, you know, someone that someone would look up to. Um, but, but then I've slowly like kind of realized that is the case. I think there are, I mean, whether there's five or 10 or maybe even 12, let's get crazy and say there are 12 people out there that look up to me. Uh, if, if even one of them, you know, hears my story and is like, oh shit, that guy that I really look up to is also been depressed like his entire adult life. Wow. Maybe there is hope for me. Like that, that honestly, it, it means a lot to me. Um, so I have no problem being candid. I mean, I've told, I've told this story publicly before. I don't know how many people have come across it. Like there were days on the basketball team. I'll, I'll never forget. Uh, I, I put a belt around my neck one night and I, I fall to, I, I, I wasn't suicidal, I wouldn't say, but I just kind of was at that. Sp- I mean, obviously that's not a healthy spot to be in when you're putting a belt around your neck. I had no intention of like going all the way with it, but um, I had a belt around my neck. I kind of pulled on it just to see what it'd feel like. I collapsed to the floor, started sobbing in my apartment that I lived by myself in, um, fell asleep on the floor after sobbing, fell asleep with this belt around my neck. Woke up at 7.30 in the morning, got to the gym by 8, cracking jokes in practice, making fun of everybody. Um, and, and that went on. like a, That happened a yeah. lot when I was at Ohio State. And uh, that's just how bad it was. I mean, that was and, – and I think you're absolutely right that, that I, I could – I certainly was never going to walk into the, the locker room and be like, hey, guys, just want to let you know last night I had a belt around my neck uh, um, because you can't do that. If you so, had gone in and said that, would you have wanted the guys in the locker room to be naked or not naked when you gave them that comment? but but i mean that's the part about this that's so interesting and then we'll get into some college basketball talk for people you know i guess smalls and my's mom will listen and hopefully you know your mom will listen to this as well so we'll get we'll get three people yeah like it's the part in sports where like people you you can't and, and this is just an ongoing theme every single time we have people on the podcast like you can't be afraid to be yourself and like you can't be afraid to like let people in and and your network is strong but it doesn't necessarily need you don't need to tell the thousand people you reach out to every day to be like hey great game last night that you're not feeling that way but you need to have a support system around you that like you feel like, OK, these are the issues that I can go through and these people aren't going to judge me. And I think people in basketball, I think they just worry about being judged way too much. Well, and like, and we t- t- Tyler, like, yeah, we talk about it with coaching and there's coaches like it's not it's like this thing that everyone thinks like coaches a superhero. They're these untouchable guys. Their lives are so good. But these young guys like me and Tyler and like. Other guys who were working for a thousand dollars a year at you know smaller schools, and we're just trying to make it. You have those times where it's, it really sucks, and you're like, I'm not sure if I'm going to make it. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. So you go through those tough times, and sometimes it's 
like Tyler said, like you need a support system and you need to be able to like talk about it and stuff. Yeah. Cause it, you can't succeed without it, Mark. I mean, I, and I guess, I think that's what you're getting at too. And like, unfortunately with your situation, it sounds like you went through a lot of it yourself until you kind of were like, okay, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to solve this. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, for all the reasons you said, I mean, I was, I, I was placed in a macho environment um, to, to, to be like, Hey guys, I'm very screwed up in the head and something's going on here. Uh, was completely unnatural to me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I was just raised, like, I don't, I don't mean raised in the sense that my parents instilled this in me. I think it was just kind of the environment I was placed in. Um, but I was, I was sort of raised to, to be a suck it up and deal with it kind of guy. Um, and again, that's not like my, my dad never explicitly said those words to me. It was just sort of the culture you're brought up in, in sports and stuff. Uh, so that, that was pretty much it. And, and yeah, I value authenticity at this point. Like that's kind of, as I've gotten older, I've definitely shifted into that. And I think that carries over and like all the the work I do publicly with, with media stuff is just, I think that's the number one thing I care about most is just being authentic. And it's like, you might not like me. You might wish I took things more seriously. I get that. A lot of people come read my articles and they're like, shit, I was hoping for more X's and O's. I don't like this guy. Um, and listen, that's fine. Like that's your prerogative. But when you, when you read what I write or you, you, listen to what I do on a podcast or whatever. That's, that's 100% me. I'm not manufacturing it. Um, I, I, I know I brought up like how I play some shtick a little bit. Like I'll, I don't know, like I have fun with stuff here and there, but like, that's, that's just who I am. Um, I'm not afraid to talk about that kind of stuff because I think there's no point. It, it just doesn't serve anybody for me to not be that way. That's just kind of how I've always viewed it. Like to, to be somebody different just makes no sense. And plus it'd be exhausting. It's hard enough being me. I can't try yeah, to be being another version of me also like what the hell guys did someone say playoffs nba and nhl are in full swing and our partners at bet online have you covered get in on all the action including a new nba playoff bracket contest that gives you more chances to win major league baseball continues to push through the summer and there are no shortage of ways to get in on the action as bet online has hundreds of odds futures and props for you to bet on Please take advantage of every sport and remember our casino never closes. It's always there for you to check out and enjoy. Head to the website today and sign up to receive your welcome bonus on your first deposit. If you go to bet online, don't forget the promo code P-O-D-C-A-S-T-O-N-E. That is podcast one for your sign up bonus. That is bet online, your online sportsbook experts. So easy, easy segue here. Um, college basketball. <laughs> Who? Who's going to, like, who can win the tournament this year? That's what I want to know. Like, I know you watch a lot of college basketball, but, you know, who can do it? Yeah. Honestly, anybody. That's what's awesome about this. This is, like, the craziest season, not even for the off-court stuff, but, like, the on-court is just absurd. It's impossible to to figure anything out. And it sucks for guys like me because this is the time of year where, where people are asking me, like, well, hey, who should I put in my bracket? I'm like, dude, I don't know. No I mean, clue, yeah. For God's sake, have you, have you been paying attention? Like, there have been seven or eight teams that have been ranked in the top five that have then fallen out of the rankings after being ranked top five, which is absolutely – maybe that happens once a year, maybe twice on any other year. It's happened like seven or eight times this year. Um, but the teams that like jump out to me, I'd say I, I really like Michigan State. I know they've had their problems on the road. I know they haven't played like the greatest schedule in the world. Um, but, I mean, they, they just kind of – the firepower they have is is undeniable. Um, and – and they, they just seem like a team that look, they, they looked apart. If that matters to anybody, I think they they play great defense. Uh, I, I really like Michigan State. I, I think Duke is figuring it out playing defense lately. Um, got Bagley. Everyone thought Bagley was the reason when like Bagley goes out and they start playing defense well. They're like, oh crap, are we better without Bagley? 
And then Bagley comes back and is like, no, 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 no you're not. They've been playing so much so, more zone. It's like they finally figured out, like, okay, we, we need to work on this in practice. Like, let's, let's not try to play yeah. a defense that we've run a couple sets against uh, back in October. And now they're getting a lot better at it. You know, it's just that they don't have guys that really guard great. Like, yeah. like honestly, Gary Trent Jr. is probably the worst perimeter defender on the team. Bagley's got his own issues and, like, who he's going to guard next level, I'm not sure. But, like, it was hilarious watching Gary Trent Jr. try to get stops late in games when they were in man. I, yeah. I mean, yes. so bad. Yes. Like. Well, zone people. Are, you, you guys know this. These college kids are idiots. When they, when they, they, go, they can't college college basketball players cannot run offense against the zone. They're so stupid. Like the reason coaches don't want to run zone is because they're like, well, if we run zone, then we're then we're vulnerable here and here, and they'll just put it here and dunk on us and shoot three. And yeah, it's just three. not but true. They, the offense has never figured out. It's yeah. just not true. Like the only thing I'd be worried about is if I played zone is if I played zone against a really good offensive rebounding team. Because the other team yeah. missed a ton of threes that they take that are terrible early and late in the shot clock, and I'd be worried about that if I didn't rebound. But in terms of, like, there's got to be, like, three teams in the country that are good at zone offense. I mean, and, and I don't even know if yeah. good is, like, a, I can't even think of a guy that I'd be – I think Dana Altman is, is pretty good in, in those settings. And then I, I thought Fred Hoiberg was pretty good back in the day, you know, when he was at Ohio or Iowa State, excuse me. But I don't know what yeah. other coaches – maybe Jim Beheim because his players just played all the time in practice. But – Bill Self – Bill Self has a ton of sets out of zone. Um, his, his, the zone offense turns into just windshield wiper, chuck up threes. But I, I know he's got a big playbook. But, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, though. Like, nobody – I think players just get bored. Like, they go up against the zone, and they're like, well, we, we, we got us to the high post last time. Do we really need to do that again? Like, that's, that's you boring. know what the best part, Mark, in my opinion, of, like, watching zone, like, teams go up against the zone is, like, late in the first half or, like, early in the second half when coaches are like, I just found out this awesome zone-busting thing. What if we set a ball screen yeah. at the top of the zone? What what if we run our man sets? How's that going to work? And you're just like, oh my, like this is insane. Like just just run your stuff. If you run your offense good, it probably really doesn't matter what defense you're against. If your guys are really good at offense, yes. like you can run man sets. But coaches also panic and they're like, okay, we're going to run our six zone sets we have. Like get it to our big man who's three assists to 28 turnovers this year. He'll, he'll make great plays out of the high post. It's like, yep. it's, it's insane to me. But I think... Duke, Duke, I think. What about Virginia this year in terms of? I believe in Virginia. I like Virginia. They have they have um, really good players. Like I know people yeah, love Tony Bennett, I think, but yeah, Virginia. The, the the concern with Virginia is is a concern I've always had is how slow they play, and I don't I don't say that as a pace. Uh, the the word they use is paces um, <laughs> for, for Virginia fans. I'm not I'm not a paces when I say that. I think it's just uh when you have better players than the other team you want more possessions to prove that your players are better you know um so it gives you more margin right. for error yeah and that's always my concern going into the NCAA tournament with Virginia is that it just takes that one game where you, you know when you have when you only have like 30 possessions in a game if five of them go wrong like that's a huge chunk of your possession you know so that's the one concern but like as far as Virginia as a team I mean their defense is unbelievable not just good it, it, I feel like there's this, this sense of like Virginia's a gimmick it's almost not. For people that don't really follow, and they are not. They're absolutely not. They have legitimate players. They have – I mean, I, I, I absolutely love Virginia. I always have. Um, not always, but I mean, like, in the, in the recent years since they've become really good and people have kind of hated on them for scoring 46 points a game. Um, I've seen through that. I see, like, how well they play together, how – certainly on the defensive end, how cohesive they are. Um and and I, I do think they're definitely good enough to win a national title. I, I very much. Believe How about in one sleeper, like one team that is? I, I mean, I guess like there's not a lot of sleepers because a bunch of teams have been ranked, but like one team that maybe is outside of the top fifteen that you feel could make some noise. Mm, I got to pull up the top fifteen. I got to see what the. Uh, <laughs> let me see here. 
the, the rankings change. They change so often; it's impossible to know. Um, I guess Arizona's out of the top fifteen. That'd be interesting. Right? Yeah, I mean, and they're, and they're definitely good enough. Like, uh, getting getting back to Arizona for just like one second, we'll talk about the investigation for like a minute. But I'll, you know, you guys will go way more in depth on your podcast. But like, this Alonzo Trier suspension is insane. First of all, like. Oh like, yeah, yeah, and I guess like it's great for Arizona that now people think Sean Miller's paying guys a hundred thousand dollars because now nobody's talking about the fact, or the NCA rather, now no one's talking about the fact that he got suspended for something that happened in 2016 for a drug test he took probably 12 months later when he was more than likely dehydrated after a game, and like he's not playing now. I, I don't understand. Like this is why the NCA just it makes, makes no sense. So many mind-boggling decisions that it's it's just so wild that now we're looking at no Alonzo Trier and then. I mean, I just want to say that I wouldn't sit any of my players if they came up in the investigation right now and I'd force the NCAA to prove that they did something wrong. Because I don't know how much information is really out there. I I think some of these reports are pretty crazy. Like, I I think ESPN, I don't know. I don't want to go on the record and say I think that ESPN reporters aren't good at their jobs. I just think this is a total mess. I think they, they have no clue of what they're reporting. So, like, I hope nobody sits anybody and they force the NCAA to step in and be like, you can't play. That's that's exact. Not only is that what I want to happen, that, I think that is exactly what is happening and is going to happen. Is um, yeah. The, the, to me, this is much ado about nothing as of right now with the investigation stuff. I think people are so anxious for for the, they're just like rabid wolves waiting for that piece of red meat to, to be dropped in, and the meat that they're dropping in isn't really that juicy and. No, it's really not. Once yeah. <laughs> yeah. Once you've prepared yourself to just kind of consume that, you're just like, oh, sweet, we got it now. And I don't know. I, I, I mean, it's just, I, I the, the wiretap. I mean, like, if we're going to talk about the Sean Miller thing, like, no one knows what the wiretap is actually, what it actually is, if it even exists at all. It's like one source reported this to one reporter who then ran with it, and it's become this blown up thing that, and listen, it might exist. It, it may be even probable that it exists. And it's very, very bad, but it's just, it, it, there's a rush to judgment with all this stuff. That's pretty crazy to me. And, um, I don't know. And I say this as someone who very much wants all these programs to burn to the ground. Like I want all of the cheating to be exposed. <laughs> it's just like, I, I'm smart enough to know that like, this isn't it. Like we're not going to get it via these means, you know? That, that's the hardest part. Right. And that's the, the one thing I wanted to ask your opinion of, and we didn't include this in here, but I want to ask your opinion of like, Smalls and I are, we're like Seth uh, Greenberg in the sense that we're coaches, we're not journalists, okay? But yeah. you're you're kind of a journalist. Like, how about all these journalists and media members who have kind of like made their career writing about these coaches who are now acting like what they're hearing is the worst thing they've ever heard ever? It, it feels like to right. me, if you've been in the business, like you've known this goes on forever. And like Jay Billis, who I really like, is on TV on Saturday morning, like just destroying Sean Miller. And like, I mean, come on. And yeah. this is not the first time you've ever heard this. And that's the part with the journalism aspect of this that just, it kills me. Cause you're right. Like we don't know anything about the wiretaps. ESPN doesn't have transcripts. Like they don't have wire, like they had nothing in there aside from, Oh, this is what we heard from a source. And that's really dangerous. Right. And by the way, the source isn't, the source ha- has to have an agenda. Why would the source like this wasn't, this wasn't, this wasn't publicly released. This isn't like, the, the court or the judge ordered like all the evidence to be released and, and then and then the reporters come through all the evidence and found this wiretap. This was someone who was inside the courtroom or the the whatever wherever they're having these briefings and looked over all the evidence and, and picked this part, this wiretap with Sean Miller and was like, this is what I'm going to to leak. And I mean, it's speculation. Like I don't think anyone really can figure out who the sources are, but like who's in this case? It's the FBI versus all the people they arrested, right? I, I doubt the FBI is calling 
ESPN reporters and saying like, hey, here's what we have on this guy. You should run this story. So I'm guessing it's one of the one of the guys who's been arrested. I'm guessing it's their law team that is leaking this to kind of control the narrative. And listen, it, it, it the wiretap might exist. It, it, again, it might even be probable that it exists. It's just it's very strange to me that this is kind of how we arrived at this point because this is not how when I say I want the NCAA or, or certainly the NCAA, yeah, but like I want all these cheating programs to burn to the ground and I want all the cheaters to be exposed. If you're going about it this way, this is this. Is Say this, the, the NCAA, the NCAA is so stupid. They've known about this stuff forever. It's gone on for a long time. And they, and now they're yeah. asking, Mark Ember wants to say, he wants to say, oh, it's like, they, like, this is the worst thing that ever happened. We didn't know about it. Like, don't act like that. It, 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 you knew it for 25, 30 years. Everybody's been doing it. It's, it's happened in the eighties, the seventies. Well, you know, John Wooden was a great coach. You know who he had? He had Papa G. So, like, don't tell me that stuff. It just bothers me. It bothers me. Vitell almost had a heart attack at the Syracuse 2 game talking about Sean. He was he's just like, oh, my God. It was incredible. And and here's the other thing, and I know, you know, we're going to go into coach speak right after this before Smalls kills me for taking this too long. But, like, I I know that coaches don't have a lot of free time on their hands. But everything I know about wiretaps, I learned from the wire. And the one thing I learned... (laughs) Which you just don't talk on the phone. Like, right. you just, when you're breaking the rules, and I get that these guys never thought the FBI would be involved, but, like, all I can ever think of is, like, keep it boring. So here's what I'll tell you, Mark. If Sean Miller was on the phone and he talked to a runner who is entirely in- uncredible in the first place, but if he talked to Christian Dawkins and was like, yeah, Christian, let's get $100,000 for DeAndre Ayton, I would be legitimately stunned. Like, to yeah. the point where, like, I would, I would, I don't know what I would do. Like, go to the Final Four and, like, I don't even, I don't know, but I would be absolutely stunned if that happened because like, it's just, it's so stupid. And I don't think these guys are that stupid, especially when you've been cheating for years, not saying Sean Miller is, but like programs that have been cheating, like they've got it down to like a pretty decent science. So the idea that he would discuss that about someone who was already on campus, I just, I can't see it. I just can't. I'm absolutely, I'm right there with you. That, that That's the part that's all fishy to me. On top of that, if, if they're really, if there's a, if the FBI has a wiretap of Sean Miller saying, I I will give you a hundred thousand dollars for this player. Deliver him to me. Um, like if that's pretty much what the quote is, then why is Sean Miller not arrested? A hundred percent. Like Will Richardson <laughs> got dragged out in cuffs for way less than that. So that like, seems yeah. It's just something so, some doesn't add up. I agree. It's very fishy, but that that's not. I'm not trying to come to Miller's defense with that. I'm not saying like Sean Miller's clean or anything like that. I, I'm what I'm saying is I don't know, and no one else does. And to pretend like you do know is just irresponsible to me. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. All right. We'll, we'll go into coach speak. Smalls will do the first one. And this is, we kind of pick some coaches and they give us cliches. And then we, we ask guys in the business to break them down and, and kind of tell us what they mean. So Smalls, you got the first one. It's from Rick Barnes this weekend. Yeah, this is Rick Barnes on being a semifinalist for Naismith coach of the year. Uh, he said, haven't seen anything about it. Haven't heard anything about it. Don't care anything about it. Does Rick, ba- Rick Barnes actually care or not care? Do coaches care about anything other than wins and losses? I, I say Rick Barnes absolutely does care. He has to care. Um, Rick Barnes, this is a man who uh, made Texas basketball what it is, was shown the door for doing that, um, and he, he's got pride. I mean, like, this this guy is he, – he, he wanted the North Carolina job. He didn't get it. He, he went to Texas, builds a Texas program up, gets Kevin Durant there. I mean, like, Texas has that for the rest of their existence. They have Kevin Durant. That's invaluable. Rick Barnes, they should be kissing Rick Barnes' feet just for that alone. And 
and he's pissed off about it. And he, he wants to be able to rub it in Texas's face that he was the, the national coach of the year. Yeah. I, I, I'm saying he definitely cares. Yeah, he, he had made 18 NCAA tournaments in like 20 years and they, they showed him the door and that's the nature of the business. But like this guy, he wants to like put that on his mantle and just like Snapchat it to Texas fans and be like, Oh yeah, you wanted to fire me, right? Like this is how bad it is. I, it's, it's ins- also successful coaches have, have egos. Like that's just known. They're, you're, it's insane to me to think that like they don't want an award that's going to especially rub it in their other school that fired them's face. I'll put it this way. You don't, as someone who is in, I'm in journalists, obviously we brought up my journalist, whatever, but, uh, I, there are journalism awards that exist. There are writing awards that exist for college, even college basketball writers. Um, I would say it's possible to not care about about an award all the way up until you see who won the award, and then you very yeah. much care. Like, I'm way better than that. Like, dude. Wait a second, yeah, that guy. Yeah, exactly. All right, so this one is from this one is from your guys, you and Tate Frazier. Shout out to your co-hosts. Personal favorite coach in NCAA basketball right now. This is from Kevin Stallings. This was like a couple weeks ago. And he said, I think coaches in general live on a hot seat. Do I feel any more pressure? I've never spent a lot of time worrying about that. I try to do the best I can for my players every day. And I said when I took this job, it would be be about the players. And that's who it's about. I'll work tonight to help them and be better for Saturday against number one Virginia. And that starts tomorrow. It's about me. It's not about me. It's about them. And I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. And that's help them be successful. And then we know they scored seven points in the first half against Virginia. They had a really good game. What's uh, what's going on in Kevin Stallings' mind this this past week? Do you think, or this entire Listen, year? If you can, if anyone can figure out what's going on in Kevin Stallings' mind, please call me immediately. Um, I've been I've been trying to crack this case for years. I I love Kevin Stallings so much, but the, Kevin has Kevin Stallings ever cared about his players? That's what I, mean. I. He's like the the poster child for like he's an old school guy, and like he is an absolutely not a players coach. Like one hundred percent, he's not. Do you think you guys with the coaching background? Do you think that guys like that can be successful in the modern game anymore? Like they, they're they've gone, they've, they've, they're extinct at this point, aren't they? There's like Frank Martin's a hard ass, and Kevin Stallings is a hard ass, and I'm trying to think of who else there is. Like it's really difficult. Like Izzo is really hard on his guys too, in the sense that they practice really, really hard. Unless your background is hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of wins and Sweet Sixteens and titles, I don't think you can do it anymore as a young guy. Yeah. I just don't think it works. You know, like Smalls, yeah. Smalls worked for Herm McGee. Who's got a thousand wins? But he he even he wasn't that yeah, hard Co- guy. with Coach McGee. And I love Coach McGee, and everyone knows that. Um, he he he's really tough on his guys, but at the same point, he's pretty much a human, and those guys know that, and they know they can come into his office and talk with him and things like that. So I I do think to answer your question, I don't think you can be like full on like the old school. Like you need to have a balance. Like I know Jay Wright's really tough on his yeah. guys, but at the end of the day, he's got their back, and he makes sure. He he lets that be known in the media, especially. That's the important part. Well, like Frank Martin does that really well. Like you see him just, I mean, he's one of the few guys that you see just like embarrass his dudes on national TV, but he never yeah. lets other guys embarrass his players. Like, and he takes full credit for like mistakes and stuff. Like, I, I mean, I always remember him like defending Jacob Pullen in 2011 when like Pullen like was so emotionally couldn't give his press conference and Martin just like basically motherfucked the guy from the podium in the NCAA NCAA tournament. (laughs) But like that, you know, like that's what you, you know, you see Jim Beheim did it for Jerry McNamara and stuff. And I think like, if you're going to be a real hardo, that's what you've got to be. Your players have to know that, all right, this guy's going to treat me like absolute crap. But I, I think either they're Stockholm syndrome or they think deep down the guy really cares about him, you know? 
Yeah, uh, I would say that from what I can gather, that does not apply to Kevin Stallings. <laughs> Famously, the, the story I love telling, I can't tell it enough. I'm not sure if you guys have heard me tell this story before, but uh, a buddy of mine played for Stallings at Vanderbilt and said that he one time called a, instead of practice, it was like over the summer, um, instead of a summer workout, he, he took the team to play softball because he thought, that the, uh, it, it would be great to, to liven the team spirits, you know, like we've been, we've been on the grind for so long. Let's go play softball. And then all the, all the guys like look at each other funny, like, this is weird. What's <laughs> going on here. And then they get there and Stallings inserts himself into the game and is in the lineup and is actually playing with the teams and proceeds to just bomb home run after home run <laughs> and just and taunt his players as he rounds the bases. <laughs> So even even the gesture, even a gesture like that that was supposed to be for his guys, it's like, hey, I'm going to throw you this bone. It really just ended up being about like, I want to show you guys that I'm better than you. I'm going to bomb home runs off of you. <laughs> the thought of Kevin Stallings playing. So I live in Nashville now, and the thought of like Kevin Stallings like on the baseball diamond at Vanderbilt, like bombing home runs. I live in Pittsburgh now, so a little connection there. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, there we go. Terrible. But I think like everybody knew the, the thing with Kevin Stallings too is like everybody knew. You know, it's very rare in in both recruiting and coaching that people say that like something was a bad idea. Like every recruit that signs for a school, recruiting and are like this is a great get. That guy's going to be an awesome player. Like okay, we have thirty percent transfer rate. And every coach that gets hired, they're like, oh, he's great with guys. He's going to be awesome. But Kevin Stallings was the first thing that I've ever seen that every single person in the know was like. Um, <laughs> Well, Pittsburgh hired Kevin Stallings. They fired Jamie Dixon, or Jamie Dixon, they ran him out of town, but Kevin Stallings is the guy that's going to, like, take us to the next level. When, like, his players in Vanderbilt, like, Wade Baldwin, like, essentially was telling people how much he hated playing there, which is, like, yes. amazing. Like, yeah. and, and again, it's just, it's like when schools and athletic directors do things like that, you just shake your head and you're like, okay, so when you score seven points in a national TV game and, like, your student section is 10% full – who are you going to blame? And then you have to pay him $9 million to fire him for, 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 without cause. Like, it's crazy. Scott Barnes. God bless Scott Barnes. Scott Barnes hires him at, at Pitt and then and then leaves, like, almost immediately. And <laughs> leaves Pitt to deal with it all. All right. Amazing. And I'm going to – yeah, I'm going to hop into the next segment. City Review. Uh, we're going to do Columbus, Ohio. I know you said you're a boring guy, but this is all I need from you is a couple restaurants, a couple bars. And then I want you to impress me. Me and Tyler are coming to Columbus, Ohio for a weekend with Mark Titus. You can impress us. And I don't care. We can sit and watch games in your living room. I don't really care. Okay. Okay. So we'll start with the restaurants. I got uh, number one. I really, I only need to list one restaurant uh, because this is this is to me number one, and there is no close second, and it doesn't matter. It's this place called Nancy's Home Cooking. Um, it's a hole in the wall, just north of Ohio State's campus. Uh, it is, and when I say a hole in the wall, I mean it, it literally might be just a hole in the wall. Like it's it's crowded as hell. There's like six places to sit. Um, it's been family owned forever. And they make you go in there. They'll I I get the same meal every time because there's no point in getting anything else. Uh, chicken and noodles. What they do is they take a plate. Um, they take like a normal size dinner plate, throw mashed potatoes on it, spread out the mashed potatoes, take just like spoonful after spoon, huge spoonful after spoonful of chicken and noodles, throw it on top of the mashed potatoes, throw a little side of green beans, a couple rolls, and like all of that costs what ten bucks maybe, maybe eleven dollars for that. And when I got at my absolute fattest, I was going there a lot. And that is not a coincidence um, because 
that food is unbelievable. It's my favorite restaurant in Columbus by far. Uh, and it's, it's something as simple as that. Maybe you're expecting me to say some fine dining. No, place. no, I wasn't. Um, I don't, I don't like fine that dining. Is the spot. One thing you'll know about me is I'm a big like dive bar, like dive food area. Like that's perfect for me. So I'm in. Yeah. Nancy's Nancy's in Clintonville. It is for the listeners that, I mean, listen, if you live in Columbus and you don't know of Nancy's, then you, you, you know, like you're, you're certainly not learning it from me for the first time. That, that can't happen. I'm sure you already know for all the people that are, but if you're coming through Columbus, try to check out Nancy's. It's only open to like three on most days. Cause they do like the breakfast lunch thing, but it's definitely worth it. I know like Todd Blackledge at ESPN. He goes there all the time. Todd's um, every time Todd's he's in taste town, of the like town. Probably yeah. That. yeah. His taste of the town is there all the time. Yeah. He goes there all the time. So, I'm I'm not alone in this thought. So anyway, uh, other restaurants I'm trying to think like there's some other good ones, but I don't know. It's, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna no, that's, one restaurant's good. That's the best. What, what about if we're, we're going out? Like, take mm. us to a bar in Columbus. Um, I, I I don't have a good answer for that because I'm again very boring. I just want beer. So I want I want a place that just has a lot of beer on tap. Um, and literally any place that has beer on tap, I'll be fine with. Um, I, I, I like, but, but it has to be like a lot of beer. Like I'm a guy that wants to to try a lot of different stuff, get to get the little sample paddle that comes out and then like stick your nose in it and pretend like you can kind of distinguish anything. You stick your nose in it, swirl around, take a drink. You're like, yeah, it tastes like beer. That's beer. All right. Um, so I guess like, I don't really have a, I don't have an exact spot, but I would say like places like that is where I would, you would find me like the places that have like. So we're looking, we're looking tap. for a tap room, uh, some sort of tap room. Well, I'll, t- I'll, I'll tell you who can't come on this trip is uh, one of our former guests, John Rothstein, who can't eat carbs for some reason. He will not be joining us for the noodles and the beer. So, John, you're out. There, we, we have, I think, like, honestly, most of the beer, there's a place called Pint House that's pretty good, but I don't, I don't think it's local to Columbus. I, it feels like a place that should be a chain if it's not already. Um, but it, it's called the Pie House, and they have a thousand beers on tap, and it's kind of like the yuppie place to go in the short north. And I don't know, but whatever, they got good <laughs> beer. That's all that matters. <laughs> That's all that matters. But again, honestly, if you're going out with me, we are going to literally the closest bar to my house, probably at this point. I'm washed up. I'm in my 30s. I live in the suburbs. <laughs> We're going to B Dubs. We're going to B Dubs and getting some boneless wings and like a bowl of light. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Now, last thing, you you just got, let's do something you want to do. Activity, we can go fishing or we can just like uh, hang out on your, hang out in your living room. Let's see. I got a, I got a few things. Uh, so I, I'm very into the Columbus crew. Um, that is, that is the number one thing I would say I would like to do in Columbus is go to crew games. Uh, it's, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but I got into soccer. Um, and I got, I had season tickets for a while. They're, they're taking our team away from us. This is, this is not a happy time to be a crew fan, but um, I would say that, but yeah, it's, it's a weird, it's a weird time right now to be a crew fan because they're trying to take the team away and the fans are fighting like hell to, to keep it in Columbus. But otherwise I've, I've gotten into curling and not just because of the Olympics. I, I was going, I took a curling class, uh, over the summer, I want to or in the fall, something like that. Um, at the, at the Columbus curling club. I am. Juiced. That's a, that's some fun shit. Dude. Yes. I'm juiced. I've never been curling. That that's the best. I, I'm that's, coming out. So I'm, I'm getting in. <laughs> I was I was into curling. I'm I'm gonna be a hipster and be like I was in before the Olympics, but I actually was. I, I like my my brother brought me along to this class and we did it and and I'm all in on it and I'm I'm ready to get a membership and then I got excited watching the Olympics. So 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 Mark, do that. when John Schuster like in the gold medal match had like the big shot against Sweden, I think it was yeah. in the eighth end, right? How excited did you actually yeah. get? 
Oh, I, 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 first of all, I stayed up and actually watched it. It was, it was at that, that shot happened at like four o'clock in the morning. It felt like, so, uh, just that in and of itself should tell you how excited I was. But then, yeah, I, I got up off my couch and was like running around the room, <laughs> dancing and stuff. So it, I mean, yeah, I, I'm in it. And for people that don't know, like his story is actually amazing. He, he gets like left off, oh. like the high performance curling team that the U S cause he, cause he literally like choked in 2010 and Dude. 2014. Like he was b- really bad, and, right? In all honesty, if this was if he played football or basketball, it would be like the greatest story you've ever heard in your life of redemption. I mean, the guy the guy was so bad, not just bad. Like the analogy I would use is like he he would get fouled. He, he would get fouled on a three-point attempt down by one with like 2 seconds left. Like basically every game and then miss all three free throws like every single game. <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't like we were asking him to hit a half court hook shot. It wasn't like, "Hey, we need a really a miracle here. We just need you to like hit hit a, hit a couple free throws. That's it." And, and, and then he, he, would he blow goes from like time. the start of the Olympics, right, where he's still missing shots, and people are like, "Oh, same old John Schuster." Yes. And then he basically hits a hook shot from half court to win a yes. gold medal. <laughs> like it's incredible. Right. Like it, it, his right. story for people who haven't re- who read about it, just Google John Schuster curling, like. And not just because he, he yeah. allegedly lost 40 pounds just because he stopped eating pizza five times a week, which I also thought was very, very funny. But his story his um, story's crazy. Yeah, so that I would do curly. The other the other thing I should mention that uh, I really love to play board games. So I go to board game bar. There's a board game place uh, in Columbus where they basically serve beer and they have like a whole library of board games. And uh, some friends and I will go there and play board games. And it's not like... We don't play like sorry and connect four. Like we play like the high level shit that, that has like a it's a it's an entire damn book of rules and you got to read through them all and all that kind of stuff. So we get pretty into he's, it. He's out there playing the playing the cones of Dunshire. Uh, we're gonna get in. Yeah, ten, yeah. ten touches. Last last segment. Uh, rapid fire, thirty second answers. Who's the funniest player or funniest person you've ever worked with or played with? Mm, uh, first name that comes to mind is Thad Mata. That it's surprising. He's 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 a big time coach speak guy, so a lot of people wouldn't realize that. But yeah, he he was very very funny. Okay, I love coach. Um, yeah, we typically ask our second question is your worst travel experience, but you went to a high major school, so we can assume you didn't have any bad travel experiences. I want to know what the worst thing someone ever said to you was because you were a walk on, either a player or a coach. Uh, the word I love telling this story at Minnesota, um, my senior year when I had started my blog and I was kind of. Be- gaining some notoriety and people knew me uh everywhere we go on the road there would be fans that that knew who i was and uh it was always cool talking to students in the other student sections they they chant my name some of them would chant my name to put me in the game at the end of games because they just wanted to see me play because they read my blog and stuff um so we're playing in minnesota and this is this had happened at a few schools here and there where they they knew who i was and i kind of smile and wave and give them a thumbs up and thanks guys thanks for reading thanks for being a fan i'm i'm super important you guys uh and this, and in Minnesota, this guy goes, "Hey, Titus!" And I turn and look, and I give him a thumbs up, and he's like, "You have a muffin top, badass." <laughs> and then I look, I, I look down at my stomach, and I'm like, oh, "This guy." <laughs> and then uh, it, it, I was, it, it completely got in my head. Um, I sent the guy has since reached out to me. By the way, I, I told this story a couple of years ago. He's since reached out to me like very recently about it. And he's like, Hey man, I was the guy. I'm sorry. I, I really didn't. I don't know what got into me. I was an asshole, 19 year old. I, I really apologize. I was like, dude, that's the funniest thing that anyone's ever said to me. So don't do not apologize. Cause it was, it was absolutely true. I was, I was a little overweight at this point in my career. So that's my, what answer. is your, uh, you can't plug your own book. What's your current favorite book and your current favorite TV show? Uh, uh, favorite book. Um, 
I'll, I'll give a serious and a fun. A uh, serious book I read is uh, Problem of Pain by C.S. Lewis. Um, changed my life. Love that book. It's it's become like scripture to me. Um, absolutely love that book. So that's my serious answer. The one I'm reading right now is uh, A Confederacy of Dunces is what it's called. And it's hilarious. And I love that one. Um, so those, those would be my two recommendations. Uh, my favorite TV show is Game of Thrones. I know it's not on right now, but I, I've gotten into Game of Thrones. I usually don't go for that stuff. I'm not, I know I said I play board games, but I'm usually not like a fantasy type guy, but uh, I've been sucked into the Game of Thrones thing just because I work at the ringer. I mean, like everyone yeah, there. Binge mode, Game of Thrones. That's pretty much what we're known for. Bill, yeah. Bill Simmons in, indirectly almost killed, uh, was it Jonathan, uh, Jason Concepcion and uh, Rachel, uh, what's her, Juliet Litton. Mallory Rubin. Mallory Rubin. Mallory Rubin. Yeah. 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 Like they had to watch a million Game of Thrones episodes and like, a six week period of time. Yeah. Like, I don't know when they slept. It was insane. Like by the gonna, end of the podcast, it just sounded like they were like, all right, we've made it. The new season's right. tomorrow. I'm not on their level, but, uh, but yeah, I definitely like, I, I seek out secondary information. You know, I'm not, I'm not the guy that watches the show and is like, Oh, that was a good show and move on. Like I, I definitely get online and I'm reading the forums and reading the history of all the characters and all that shit. So, um, I, that's probably good. That's probably my answer. Okay. Uh, you did mention that you were thinking about going to medical school and then Bill Simmons plucked you and, you know, gave you this writing career. What would you do yeah. if you weren't, we were working in sports, but like, if you weren't a writing or anything, like if you, you know, if you had to do something um, different, what would you do? Uh, at, at this point you mean? Yeah. Or yeah. like, wait, okay. No, no, no. At, at this cause medical school is definitely out of this point. <laughs> but, uh, I, honestly, the answer is I would be a math teacher, um, which is something I'm actually interested in doing anyway. Like I'm, I, I, I am going to get my teaching license this summer. Uh, I'm curious in pursuing it. Uh, not necessarily. I'm, I'm kind of keeping my options open. I think like having the license offers me some flexibility. So I'm going to see like what I'm not trying to get out of the journalism game. Certainly, I don't, the world would crumble without my takes. But um, I, I, I have a passion for for working with children. I have a passion for for math actually surprisingly enough um and that just like i i that seems like a perfect fit for me i know a lot of people have horror stories of teaching and i'm well aware of them and uh but i I don't know i grew up in a teaching family both my parents were teachers my sister's a teacher so um i don't know it's just something i've always been interested in so that's probably my answer is i'd be like either a a junior high math teacher or like an ap calculus teacher that's probably one of either one of those. That's pretty cool. Um, what is the wildest thing you've ever seen at an AAU basketball tournament? Um, it's got to be the first thing that comes to mind when I hear you ask this is uh, Daquan Cook. The night after his prom, we were playing a game in Fort Wayne, Indiana. His prom was in Dayton, Ohio. If you Google Maps that Very shit, far. it's like it's it's not. Yeah, we're playing our our game tips off at, at I want to say eight a.m. in Fort Wayne the night after Daquan's prom. Um, Daquan was not supposed to come to the game, but then word comes out like the night before that he's going to try to make it to the game somehow. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, but I was supposed to. So th- the game's getting ready to start. Daquan's not there. It's the game. It's it's probably eight oh two at this point. We're getting ready to tip off. Daquan's not there. So I think I'm about to start because we played the same position on, on the team. And I was like, oh, shit, I'm, I'm going to have to start in this game. So I started taking it a little more seriously. Daquan comes running in right before tip, quickly throws on his shoes and and takes my spot. And, and I'm, I'm talking like as as quick as possible. Like the, the, the horn had already sounded for the guys to be on the floor. And Daquan comes running in, right? So he throws on his shoes. Uh, Greg Odin, Odin wins the tip, tips it back to Conley. Daquan was at half court, just takes off sprinting towards the goal. Mike throws a half court lob to him from from half court, just throws it up. Daquan catches it and flushes it, and I'm sitting there like, "What the what the hell just happened?" 
we go down on defense, get a stop. We come back, Daquan posts up, catches the ball about 10 feet off the block, turns and faces, takes one dribble, spins baseline, hits a fadeaway. And I go, what the, f- what, <laughs> what is happening? This is, so this was his, the, the night after prom without stretching. Um, I'm not going to, I'm not going to snitch on Daquan, but I'm going to guess at prom, he, he may have partaken in, in some illegal, <laughs> some illicit substances. Um, and he, he shows up, drives all the way over. He's, he's operating on two hours sleep, no stretching, catches a lob from half court and hits a fadeaway. And I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. And that was kind of the moment I knew that, that, you know, I, I, I'm doomed. My some, college career. Is some doomed. people are bored. Some if, people are some bored. Some guys can do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that, that's probably my answer. All right. If you could change one thing about college basketball, what would it be? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to go the other way from what a lot of people probably say. I think coaches and administrators should make less money instead of paying the players. I think I'm actually okay with the players not making money. I think we should try to get back to like just what it was in the beginning when John Wooden was making $75,000 a year. And that was like, his salary. Yeah, that's not true, but you, you know what I'm saying? Like the, cause like college basketball is structured such that these coaches are just trying to, to mold these young men. And like, this is just kind of an extracurricular thing we do on the side. And it's like, listen, I'll buy into that bullshit if coaches aren't making $10 million a year, you know? So I think that would be my answer is that I, I actually don't mind the players not getting paid. I mind that everyone else is getting just absurd amount of money. So if there's like a salary cap, like a million dollars a year for a coach or like $500,000, or I don't know, I don't know what it would be. But for some a staff, sort of, yeah. Yeah. I would make something sense. like that. I don't know. I know you guys being coaches are probably no. I, I don't care. I like I said, my cap was a thousand dollars a year. So <laughs> we've, made, we've made far less yeah. than that in our coaching careers. <laughs> Most that, that, that's good. I, I, I know. I know that solution is is uh, uh, never going to happen because it's not feasible at all. But that is like my my dream scenario is that to like to not have TV drive everything. To not have like like the Final Four. What if at the Final Four we gave t- more tickets to students? I don't know. Is that something that could happen? I mean, like, what if? Yeah, what if, what if it was not literally? literally you, you were talking about this before. Yeah, literally. Every before you came on, like, we were talking about this just to derail us for one second about how, like, if the FBI came in and they were like, "All right, Mark Emmert, here's the problem. There's been so much cheating. We want to not have the NCAA tournament this year because we need there to be punishments. We need to figure this out." Like, the NCAA would lose their shit about that. They'd be like, "Ah, there's billions of dollars on the line. Like, we can't right. do that." And so at that point, you're just like, "Okay, well, this is not like you said. It's not an extracurricular activity anymore. It's it's beyond that at this point." Right. All right. right, so that's my answer. Most <laughs> absurd rumor you ever heard. You can leave names if you want. Most absurd rumor I have ever heard. Yeah, I mean, like I'm like we've heard some stuff working at in, Temple in, co- in coaching. I would guess. I, yeah. I, I guess. Yeah. You, yeah, I'm trying to. I, I guess all the good rumors I can think of are they're only good in the context if you know who I'm talking about. So, um, hmm. What about Brad Stevens to, to IU? That's a good rumor. I like that. We always heard that. We always heard back in the day when he took the Celtics job that like he wasn't going to be successful there, and that was just lining up for him to go take the Duke job when Coach K was done. But I guess that would have been now five years ago, and Brad Stevens mm-hmm. is you know arguably the best coach in the NBA, so not a, not as much right. anymore. I would I would say I guess I'll put it this way: my the best rumors I've heard have generally been about Mark Gottfried, and I'll leave it at that. And if, if you know anything about Mark Gottfried, you kind of know the the tone that those rumors might take. Um, so I'll just say that that the best rumors I've heard have, have been about Mark Gottfried. Awesome. One program you want to coach? Obviously not Ohio State, and we loved the Duquesne push last year, so maybe it's the yeah. Duquesne. I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think like. Uh, 
I think the best coaching jobs in the country are the football schools. Maybe because I just played at Ohio State and I'm kind of biased by that, but I th- you can get away with like being – there's not as much pressure, I don't think, but you still have the resources from the football money and stuff. So I'm trying to think of like if I can't pick Ohio State – like it, like Texas to me would be an insane job. You get to live in Austin, Texas. Yeah. They have they have more money than they know what to do with. You have like Texas as a state is an insane recruiting pool. If you can just get, you could field a team with just Texas guys and be good. Um, now I'm starting to realize why Rick Barnes is maybe four stone. <laughs> no, but uh, wait, now it's starting to make more sense. Wait a second, only want the one Final Four with all that shit. Uh, but. No, that would be like a that would be a great great gig. Otherwise, if it, if that's that's my major answer, um, if we're talking about like high major program, I would probably pick like a Texas, which uh, I, you know I think most people probably expect me to pick Duke or Kansas or something. But uh, my lower major is probably like I'm, I'm going to do the the stereotypical cliche like Pepperdine or or Hawaii or something like that. Like I, I don't know. That, hey, Pepperdine's it. open. We'll make a push. We'll start it now. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, all right, greatest game yeah. you have ever been a part of? Oh, uh, greatest game I've ever been a part of. Um, objectively, removing removing everything from everything, uh, I would I would say the greatest just in a vacuum game was probably against Siena in two thousand nine in NCAA tournament in the first round. Uh, we went to double overtime. We lost in double overtime against Siena, and there were just like like. There must have been ten game winning shots hit in that Ronald game. Where it's like Moore, the guy right? hit it, and you're like, "Yeah, Ronald Moore." Yeah, you're like, "Oh, well, that's game over." And then they go hit a shot, and you're like, "Well, that's got to be game over." And then we hit a shot, and you're like, "Well, there it is. That's it. That's the dagger." And then you know, like that just kept going on back and forth. So that's probably my answer. Three basketball people you would want to have dinner with, dead or alive. Um, uh, uh, uh I'll say Larry Bird is the obvious one. That comes to mind. Uh, Bob Knight would probably have been on this list a few years ago, 10 years ago, maybe certainly, but uh, he has not aged gracefully. <laughs> so can I say like, can I say like 1992 yeah, Bob Knight? Yeah. That guy's long dead anyway. Yeah. 1992 Bob Knight. <laughs> yeah, he's dead. Um, I would say that version of Bob Knight. Um, yeah, I'm an Indiana guy, by the way. If, if you haven't picked that up, Larry Bird and Bob Knight. Should I should I make it three I, for three and say John? I Wood? think you, I think you want to add Damon Bailey to your table. You know, you grew up on Damon Bailey. Damon Bailey. Yeah. I would say I honestly, my last answer might be LeBron. Like I find LeBron so fascinating, not so much for what he does on the court, or even I find it fascinating that a guy was at at 15, 16 years old was exalted and put on the cover of Sports Illustrated. And did not turn out to be a turd. And I think that's like the biggest upset in sports history that that happened. And I, I just want to pick his brain and understand, like, how did that happen? Like, how did you not become just a huge dick to everybody? And I don't know. I mean, it makes sense, right? Like, he should have he should have had his childhood star. Like, every Hollywood child star goes through some it, crazy, you know. It's been amazing that, like, the, the, wor- the worst thing that ever happened to him was the decision. Like, every other decision that's right. made, like, in terms of... You know, no off-court problems and stuff. The problem with having dinner with LeBron is you wouldn't be able to serve beer. You'd have to serve red wine. I'm just fat. I guess, like, I guess maybe I don't want to have dinner. I just want to interview him. I just want to ask him, like, one question. Like, did you know all this time that you like, – like, what what is it about your situation that made you not become a turd where everyone else did? Like, I'm, I'm just very curious about right, that. Right, yeah. because in, in a vacuum, like, his situation is not – different from a lot of things that we've seen other than the fact that he was covered in the height of like the social media era kind of starting 
Like, you know, it's, it's, odd. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's, if, if we can get LeBron on the create your shot podcast, we'll let you come on. Unless we, unless his email is uh, LeBron.James at gmail.com, which we might try. We're probably not going to get him. Uh, Parting shots. Last, same two questions we ask every guest. I'll I'll go first. Mark, what's the best advice you've ever been given? Uh, best advice. I honestly, here's the answer. Uh, I almost said something else, but this is the real answer. Um, when I, I I was asked by Scott Van Pelt to come on his March Madness show, they did a they did a competing show with CBS for Selection Sunday, um, and he had me and Jay Billis. And I think Carol Austin were like the three people he was having come in, come on, right? And I was nervous as shit. I went up to they flew me up to Bristol for it. I was I was going to be on TV on Selection Sunday, the one day that people care, you know, a ton about basketball. I knew a ton of people are going to be watching this. And I was very, very nervous. And he pulls me aside about an hour, maybe 30 minutes before we're going live, and he goes, Remember, Mark, I he goes, I have Jay Billis here to be Jay Billis. I don't need you to be Jay Billis. I need you to be Mark Titus. And he said that, and I just felt like this this huge weight just fall off my shoulders. And in that moment, I was like, yeah, that's absolutely true. Because I think that I had this pressure to sort of go out there and, and pretend to be college basketball expert or this or that, you know. And he, and for him to just be like, listen, I like you for what you are, and that's totally fine for this situation. It, it honestly has changed my approach to my career. And it's like, I, I stopped trying to get people to like me, if that makes sense. Like, like I, I kind of brought up the example earlier where people are like, man, this guy doesn't do enough X's and O's. It's like, fine. I, I mean, I'm not changing who I am for you. I'm sorry. This is just who I am. So that's my answer was, was, was SVP with that very, when you, when you write it out, it's not really that profound, but the way he delivered it was very profound. <laughs> All right. Last question. Face to face with uh, your 18 year old self an 18 year old Mark Titus, what are you telling him? Um, you have no idea what's coming, I guess. Yeah. Like that, you're, you're about to be shocked at what your life is going to look like, uh, in, in the next 12 years. Um, that's pretty much it. Like I, I had, again, I thought when I was 18, I thought I was going, I thought I was going to Harvard when I was 18 actually. Um, and then that fell through, but even then I thought I was going to Ohio state to be a math major and go to medical school and become an orthopedic surgeon and, that was going to be my life. And that is very much not my life right now. And it, it worked out very well for me. And I'm very happy with where I am, but uh, I guess enjoy the ride. Something cliche like that. Enjoy the ride. Uh, yeah. If you were an orthopedic surgeon and somebody might've been like, Hey, you know, do you hear this thing about Sean Miller? And you'd be like, yeah, you know, I haven't had Sean Miller in my office for a couple of weeks. Does that guy live outside of uh, Dayton, Ohio? You know, you might not, you might, right, instead exactly. you got to hop off this podcast and go talk about whether or not players are getting paid money that like yep. we, we pretty much right. all know that they, they might be. But, uh, Mark, yeah. I uh, I appreciate it. We went a little long, longer than we thought, and uh, yeah, no worries. You, I, I talked too much. No, I mean this is this is what we want in the podcast. Like people here, Smalls and I talk. They don't they don't really care as much about our opinion. You know, we might get fifteen listeners because because of you. You know, maybe you have a bigger family, but I do want for people that don't know. I'm quite sure most of our guests do follow you on Twitter and do kind of know a little bit about what you do outside of going on podcasts with people you've never met before, but I would like you to plug yourself just a little bit in, in the least egotistical sure. way that you can. Uh, yeah. So I have a verified Twitter account with 153,000 followers cause I'm very famous and successful. Um, you're so, on seven, you're 7% <laughs> oh, sorry, real though, right? <laughs> oh, did you say, yeah, I know there's, there's 7% real. That's why I like making fun of that. I, oh, did you say least egotistical? Sorry, I just heard that. Um, yeah. Tweet. 
I'm at Club Trillion on Twitter. I uh, we have fun on there. We make jokes. Uh, we don't. Uh, our the po- our podcast I do is called One Shining Podcast. I did not come up with the name um, before anyone tries to roast me for that. Uh, but we it's college basketball. Sometimes more than that. Um, that that's pretty much it. I, I write for TheRinger.com, and uh, yeah, that's that's I mean, it. I mean, there so. there it is. That's his that's his bio. We we did a, an hour and twenty minutes. Maybe we could have done it in, in you know two and a half, but. Mark, I appreciate it, man. Uh, thanks for taking the time. It's been awesome. And uh, I look I look forward to kind of seeing where this season goes. And, and we'll write down some of your predictions and we'll see we'll see what happens. All Hopefully, right. like I said, Ohio State Temple in the uh, vacated NCAA Tournament Championship. That would, that would be absolutely awesome. Thanks All right, for man, having me, we'll talk guys. to you.